Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Bucks are coming off a bye week. They host the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday. Can they snap a two-game losing streak? As Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich ironed out some of their differences. We know the Vikings can take over the sixth spot in the NFC wildcard race with a win. And we'll talk to Matt Baker, our college football writer. Big Ten changed the rules for Ohio State to be eligible for the national championship. Did they get it right? Florida has one final tune-up with LSU before they play Alabama in the SEC title game. And how has Miami turned the corner under Manny Diaz? They host North Carolina. One more game for FSU against Duke. we got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, have you checked out Breitling Boutique? It's in International Plaza. And get this, it's one of only 15. That's right, 15 in the United States. You have to check out these gorgeous Swiss watch timepieces like the Chronomat Bentley. Now look, Breitling Boutique has hosted championship quarterbacks and Hall of Famers and and you know world-famous boxers as clients, but they treat everyone the same. When you come in, and they'll treat you like a celebrity, too. Just tell them Rick and Steve sent you. And if you uh, try on one of those beautiful watches, you're going to get a free $60 Breitling cap. But i got to warn you, you're probably going to walk out with a watch, too. These things are absolutely gorgeous. Breitling Boutique in International Plaza. Hey, want to wish a uh, happy trails to Ron Diaz, of course, the legendary uh, broadcaster on Ron and Ian. Before that, Ron and Ron, his last day is today. Uh, what an iconic career he had, and, and we discussed some of that on the podcast yesterday. Got a lot of good reaction. We talked about radio. Uh, Tom and I, of course, thanks to Steve, did a uh, a show in the morning on WDA for about five years and uh, got a lot of good reaction from that, a lot of stories, uh, good memories, good times, and um, so we appreciate you guys uh, in your comments. And uh, you can always uh, send us your comments and what you like, what you don't like about the show. Uh, you can do that on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or my email address is rstroud at com. But it was uh, fun going down misery lane with you yesterday, Steve. <laughs> yes, you can blame me for all those uh, memories or nightmares, whichever one you want to Yep, 100% as. responsible. I was just doing my job, man, and then you called up and uh, paired us together. And, and, you know, the other guy that uh, – and this shows you – I. I have a little bit of good eye for talent, as you do as well. Mm-hmm. If I couldn't do it with Tom, you, you, you asked me, I remember at the time, give me one guy you could do it with at the Times, um, do a radio show with, you think you'd be comfortable, and then somebody else. And I said, it has to be Tom Jones. We've known each other for 20, 25 years, um, have the chemistry, all of that. Uh, and so that, that was the working formula we ended up with. The other guy I mentioned was Booker McFarlane. Mm-hmm. It and was. he ended up... Uh, uh, doing a, a radio show for about uh, a couple of years on um, the other sports station, which since is disbanded. But um, look at look what happened to his career just as a result of that. So have an eye for talent, a little bit yeah. of an eye for talent. Well, it, it was funny, and, and we've told the story before. We didn't last night when when we had the opening on DAE in mornings after Dan Cilio left. Mm-hmm. 
that I was talking to you. Right. And happened to talk to Tom. I didn't know Tom at all. I, I kind of knew. I mean, I'd met you before. We had talked once or twice. Just You knew he did media. He was doing yeah. a media column at times. Yeah, yeah you, but you were one I'd always been like, you know, if I ever have an opening, because you're hearing you're on the radio doing call-ins, you know. Sure. I was like, that's sure. somebody I want to, you know, I'd like to do more with. So when the mm-hmm. opening came up, I talked to you. Uh, it actually, Steve Dumick, I talked to first about it, and right, and you know, I, I asked about how you were as a person, and you know, he said, "Oh, he's great. You know, he'd be he'd be wonderful on the radio." So, okay, good. So I called you and and talking, and Tom was calling me mostly about why we got rid of Dan Silio. So we were having yeah. a conversation, and I kind of joked about, "Hey, you should do the radio show." And then when he came back and said, "Hey, I, I would be interested in that," so <laughs> I'm talking to both of you, but you guys don't know. We it. didn't know. Right, and we you were... both are mentioning each other as a partner without the other knowing it. It was a blind date, which it was. It was kind of funny. Turned out way, to be so. my wife. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not exactly how we planned it, but hey, yeah, that was fun. Uh, you, uh, you, you hooked us up, man. You did, and you did it separately, which was really, yep. it was really odd. Separately, and almost everyone who knew of the plan disagreed with it. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was the other part of it. So all my boss, I, I'm not sure how I convinced them to uh, to let me to hire you guys it. because my bosses did not think it was a good idea. Some consultants in radio that I know and respect called me and said, hey, I think you're making a mistake. And, you know, everyone's got their opinions. And, and the one consultant who, who said that to me, he said, hey, just want to warn you, I think you're making a mistake. And about six months into the show, he called me and goes, you know, I was dead wrong. He goes, that's a great show. He yeah, goes, he goes I, I'm, I'm glad you stuck to your guns because I was wrong. Well, and look, it, I think the the thing about it is that and we said this yesterday on the uh, podcast that, mm-hmm. that radio is hard. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And, and if you think, you know, being on for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever, even sitting in with somebody as professional as Ron Diaz or, or any of the other hosts um, is, is not really radio. You know, it's, you're just guesting. You're just, you're mm-hmm. just a guest host. Um, but to actually do a show, to learn how to prepare to do a show, to learn how to host a show, uh, all the mechanics about it, you know, the do's and don'ts of radio. I mean, they're, you know, obviously everybody in that industry, that's most of them started there and have done it for a long time. And we were jumping in, you know, with other jobs. I mean, our, our main, our main source of income at the time was, was the newspaper. And that, and so therefore, you know, we, we were working very often till midnight and, and mm-hmm. then getting up at three forty-five, which, you know, was probably a death sentence. But, um, I, I think that, you know, I think, too often people listen to talk radio and what you can appreciate is just all the things that are happening behind the scenes with the producers, um, w- with the host and, and they do it seamlessly. They're doing a million things at once. Uh, and you don't even realize it. You're just listening to the conversation. And that's, that's the trick, you know, is that w- when people, um, you know, as, as great as Ron Diaz, when you really, when you've been inside that building and you've held that mic, um, you understand how tremendous he is, and mm-hmm. and we all know he's great, and everybody's listened to him for thirty, forty years in this market. I listened to him long before I ever thought about doing radio, and you know, it, it's just been an unbelievable career. And and in this business, to go out that way on your own terms, um, he's going to have an unbelievable retirement. He loves the area. He's very involved outdoors wise he's kept himself in tremendous shape i mean i'm jealous really of of the life he's going to have now but also uh just blown away by how good he is and you know you can't you can't just find talents like that i mean it's it's rare 
And so we've been lucky. We've been lucky in the Tampa Bay area to, to listen to him for as long as we have. So, yeah, um, good luck to him. And, and I'll be, uh, you know, I'll be wishing him well. You'll be on the show uh, later this afternoon. Correct? Yeah, I don't know if that's a surprise or not, but no, yeah, I, I will. I will be talking uh, with Ron. I don't know how I I don't know how I landed this gig because I'm not deserving of it, but I can just tell you when you see when you start hearing the names of people and start hearing the voices that come on his retirement show today, and then all of a sudden I pop up there. Yeah, that's the, that's the bathroom break. That's where you go and you say, "I got to pull over. I'm gonna not. I'm not. I'm gonna. I'll be back for like you know." the guy from cheap trick or whatever, but like, you don't, don't worry about listening, <laughs> listening to me. Um, but I'm honored. I'm very honored, uh, that, uh, he would even entertain me calling in. So we'll get that done later today. All right. So there's, there's a pretty big game Sunday at Raymond James stadium. You think, um, the well, bucks are seven. Commissioners there. Of course it's big. The, the, well, yeah, you know, it's big. If, if my, my friend Roger or RG, as I call him, is coming to town. I don't think we can have dinner because of COVID, which is disappointing. Normally, of course, we'd get together, but no. Actually, Roger's great at these NFL owners meetings. He's always around. Do you think Tom Brady has dinner with Archie? No, I don't. Um, (laughs) Didn't have to think about that one even, but no, I don't. And But but it's funny because Goodell, uh, there's always a reception back when there were meetings, back before when America was was normal, uh, the world was normal. Uh, we would have these owners' meetings, and they'd be in some posh resort in the spring, um, Arizona or you know West Palm Beach at the Breakers or something like this. And you'd go out on the terrace or on the lawn, and you'd have yourself a nice big open bar buffet, right? And certain you know owners, ship groups, teams, GMs, coaches, they'd all be kind of had their own table and and such. And I'm not sure that Goodell was all that popular. I mean, look, they pay him forty million dollars a year, so they obviously like what he does for them, the owners. But he was funny because during the times when there was a lot of, a lot of angst, right, with Jerry Jones and different, he was he was looking for people to talk to, and so he would he very often would cozy up to a few writers, and um, he's really a great guy. I mean, I I like any conversation I have with him just socially, um, and I know he gets he gets a rap for some of the things that have occurred or not occurred in the NFL, as the case may be, uh, but. Uh, I do enjoy his company, and and so yeah, it's a big deal that he's coming. And and let's be honest, I don't think he's coming to see his favorite quarterback or necessarily the Vikings, although that is a good game. He's coming because Super Bowl Fifty Five is going to be here in a few weeks. I mean, February fifth or seventh, I'm sorry, is not that far away. And this, I believe, will be his first trip since they've done a lot to the stadium, done a lot to the parking lot. Um, uh, you know, Rob Higgins and those guys have done so much planning that. This will be a tour of the area, I'm sure, and certainly of Raymond James Stadium. And, you know, they'll continue to have discussions about whether there can be fans, how many fans, how they're going to separate them, all of that stuff. I I would anticipate that if there are fans, and I think there will be, it'll be similar to the crowds that you see at Raymond James now, somewhere between 16, 15, 16,000. Um, maybe, they, maybe they push that up to 20, but... Uh, really don't see many more fans than that uh, personally, but they've they've done a good job. Uh, my wife, my kids have gone to the game. They felt very safe. Uh, everybody wears a mask. You're separate. You're you are you know you're distanced far enough away from everybody uh, in each row. So I, I think that's what they'll do. But he'll get a look at that and get a look at Tom Brady. And who knows if uh, Tom Brady gets his way, Roger will be handing him another Lombardi in Raymond James um, on February seventh. So. 
that'll be something to look forward to. But before that, the Bucks have some work to do, and hopefully they did some of the work in the bye week because even though they weren't practicing, I know there were plenty of meetings and conversations, and a lot of it um, would have to center around sort of what's going to happen with the offense. And, and I think – look, I think they're not that far off. They, you can't really use the excuse much longer that, you know, they haven't been together. We're, we're 12 weeks. This is week 13 going into the – um, in the season, and they've, they've practiced quite a bit. And so even though they added some guys late like Antonio Brown, you know, uh, Leonard Fournette, what have you, um, they've been here a good number of weeks now, and, you know, you might see Antonio Brown have to play a pretty big role. We don't know what Mike Evans' status is going to be as we as we do this podcast. He's missed some practices with that hamstring that's flaring up again. I think it's precautionary. He, he's probably a game day guy, but he has not missed a game when he's been a day, game day decision. Uh, how well he'll play, I don't really know. But um, I, I, I think aside from that, they're fairly healthy. Jamel Dean, uh, it's unfortunate he came back from a concussion and be, probably because he had not been doing much in the way in terms of running. I don't know how much running he had done, but he, he's got a bit of a groin injury. Um, so he has missed practice uh, this week. So I don't know if they'll be without him. And then that'll be tough because, uh, you know, the, the Minnesota Vikings have a pretty good offense. And it starts with Dalvin Cook, who is the second-leading rusher in the NFL, and the guy is an absolute beast. He's uh, touched the ball 30 times or more in three of the last four games. He's an absolute workhorse, uh, runs it, catches it, does everything with it. They're very good when they get in the red zone. They score a lot of touchdowns. They got Adam Thiel. Adam, uh, uh, they got Jefferson, the rookie from LSU, that, that can take the top off of any defense. He's already got over a thousand yards. So this is a uh, you know with Kirk Cousins, this is a real, a real tough team to uh, and, and one that's playing well to come in here and try to beat. And the Bucks are going to have to be on it, and they're going to have to start fast. This has been the thing. The conversation has been about the three and outs, and you know the defense not matching the speed of the game to start the game, and all those things have to be fixed, but. You know what? Um, when you get to December, this is when the best teams, you know, start to separate. And the Bucks have an opportunity with these four games if they can win this one. And I think this is the one they need more than any because it'll be a springboard to the final month. You, can, you don't want to lose three in a row. You need some momentum. You've got to create your own momentum by winning. They've lost three in a row at home on top of that. Uh, but then they get Atlanta twice. They get Detroit in between. And they'll be favored in every game. They were favored by six, six and a half points in this one. So if they can take care of business and get a little momentum, get a little hotter, a little more efficient on offense, okay, got the left side of the offensive line back with Ali Marpet, um, played last the last game. Donovan Smith gutted through it with a bad ankle. Now he's had another week or two to to you know sort of get that back in shape. He's been limited a little bit in practice, but he's been out there. Uh, you know they could make hey now, and defensively same thing. Um, you know, they have got to find a way to, you know, get their swagger back. They were playing and dictating a lot of things to teams early in the season. Uh, their secondary in particular, you know, had a lot of confidence. Now they don't. Uh, I'm not sure why that is, but when you watch, you know, Carlton Davis have to tr- cover Tyreek Hill alone, that's not going to make anybody feel better. And then uh, Sean Murphy Bunting sort of disappeared in the middle of the season. But I remember last year, it was about this time, that Sean Murphy Bunting really took off, and the final month of the season, he played he played lights out. He had a pick six, I think, in Detroit. He's going back there again. That's his hometown. So, you know, they need some guys to really step up and step up really big. Uh, 
And if they get it, I, I think if they win this game on Sunday, um, it's going to really uh, set the tone. You know, then they get it. Then they get uh, what Detroit after that, I think, uh, or Atlanta, and then Atlanta, then Detroit, then finish up with Atlanta. And I, I look for them. This will pretty much cement them sort of as a six seed. Uh, if they win even three out of four, I think with a win over Minnesota, because head to head is a tiebreaker, the first one, um, and then you're you're probably going to, I would imagine, L.A. or Seattle. You know, I don't know that you're going to get Green Bay unless, um, you know, unless something happens, you might. But um, at the very at the very least, this is the year to make the playoffs, even if you're not hosting a game. Uh, if you're a wild card. You know, there's not as much of a home field advantage. Even going to Lambeau, the weather is the issue, but not not the mystique, right? Because there's not going to be fans in these places. You know, the the 12s in Seattle is such a big part of, of what they do. And you can look at the regu- the records this year, and the, the, the away team's records are way higher than they ever are in the NFL, and I think it's just that. I think that they're, you know, late in games in the fourth quarter where games are decided by one or two scores, you don't have the crowd influencing uh, the opponent influencing the opponent or influencing the referees who absolutely are human and make calls sometimes get goaded into calls and i think all of that matters so they've got a great opportunity i think the bucks do to um you know to to not only make the postseason but then maybe uh, do something once they get there and they can't waste it i mean you brought brady down here for a reason and i think he has to take some ownership of this too you know i mean Look, it's not going to be perfect. You are going to take hits. Um, you know he's going to have to be efficient and, and you know make some first downs. He's going to have to be good with the deep ball. Going to have to protect the ball because he's had some interceptions lately against the better teams, and he can't be turning it over. He's got to play like Tom Brady plays in December and January. And if he can do that, then they'll be fine. But this is a this is a tough opponent. I mean, right out of the shoot, uh, and yet. I think you know. I think the teams that come off the bye week, I, I just think you got fresh legs. Um, I, I think you, you've had an, an opportunity to clear your mind a little bit, and you've had an extra week to work on your opponent, where they just you know they just played last Sunday. So, for all that reason, uh, I think the Bucks win this game. So we'll see how it all turns out. But it's going to be uh, it's going to be a wild one. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, Matt Baker joins us now. And, uh, Matt, before we get into the games, from not just from last week, but the ones coming up, of course, involving Florida, Miami, Florida State, and others, let me ask you uh, your reaction to, uh, I guess, what was sort of anticipated. I mean, you know, the Big Ten started their season late. They had a lot of rules uh, when they began the year. Uh, They've had a lot of cancellations uh, in their season, including the game, right, between Ohio State and Michigan that won't be played this weekend, um, but now they've uh, facilitated uh, Ohio State's ability to to be considered for the national uh, title. And I, I just, you know, I'm not surprised, but isn't this what the Big Ten season was all about? <laughs> well, it, 
you got to remember that everybody was making the rules up as they went along. They, they were building the plane as they were flying it. Because this is this whole situation is, is unprecedented in, in modern college football history. So nobody knew what to do. Everybody kind of came up with their own solutions on what they thought was best. And you know, the Big Ten thought for a while it was best not to play. Then they decided, okay, wait, we should. And then they decided they thought they needed to make some kind of safeguards or some sort of protocols in case somebody had a bunch of games canceled. Because you wouldn't want somebody who was 1-0 to play for a conference championship. So they're, they're, everybody has their own rules. Every conference did. And it just so happens that the Big Tens came back to bite them because Ohio State, the, you know, the top brand in the program, clear top team in, in the conference, um, they, they had a couple games get called off. And it, it, it's, you know, on, on one hand, it's, it's kind of odd to see the Big Ten make this decision because it's, it's pretty clear why they're doing it. And in theory, everybody should be equal, and why are you bowing down to, to Ohio State? But look, let's be real here. Ohio State's the clear best team in the conference, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt. Um, they're the clear best team in the division. The other team that would have gotten in had they not changed the rules would have been Indiana, which Ohio State beat by a touchdown. Like, we, we saw that game. We know what happened. We know who's the better team because we saw it with our eyes. So... Yeah, it's it's easy to kind of say, look at the the Big Ten changing their rules here, um, but at the same time, it gets the clear best team in the conference playing for the conference championship. So I, I kind of understand it. It's and and really just everybody, like I said, everybody's making this up as they go along. The Big Ten did this. The ACC decided last week that they didn't need to play the games. Uh, you know, when Clemson won, they didn't. Need, Clemson and Notre Dame didn't need to play uh, on this weekend, the twelfth, because they already were going to be the, the uh, top two teams in the conference, played the 19th for the, the ACC championship. That's something they made up as they went along too. So everybody's kind of doing that in their own way. And it just so happens the Big Ten was very high profile and happens to involve the arguably the biggest brand outside of Alabama in the sport and makes it perhaps a little bit easier for them to uh, make the playoff. No doubt. And, and we've talked about this before. I mean, look, there there is uh, not a ton of parity. I think all of us could have started the year and predicted – maybe with the exception of Notre Dame, uh, and, and they certainly are one of the blue bloods, that it was going to be in some order Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, maybe in Oklahoma, like I mentioned, Notre Dame uh, dropped in there. Um, but this seems to be where college football is at every single year, and I'm okay with it because I want to see the best teams. But then I see a team like Cincinnati, um, which, you know, look, they're not a Power 5 conference. I get it. Their schedule is probably not uh, certainly on par with some of those other conferences, um, but they fall in the rankings behind Iowa State, which has lost twice. So are we really giving anybody else an invitation to the party? No, we're, we're not. Do, do, you, uh, do you know the last first-time national champion the sport had? I'm not counting UCF and their mythical made-up thing. Last <laughs> time a, a team program won a national championship for the first time? No. Gators in 1996. Goodness. It's been almost a quarter century. And then when you when you go down and drill into to you know it, the the playoff, it's been Clemson and Bama every year, and even just the playoff teams. I mean, Washington got in at once, so there's been a couple, but like Washington's not like a nobody. So we, I do think the sport needs some some fresh blood in there. That's why I wrote last year that I thought one of the best things that could happen was for Utah to win the Pac-12 and, and find a way to get in, because Utah's a you know a different part of the country. Because again, the the four teams that are almost really go to the six, seven teams that are going to be most likely to be in the playoff. Nobody from the West is in there. 
So Utah would have been somebody from the West. It would have been a new program and, and that sort of thing. So that would have been nice for the sport to see. Um, as it relates to Cincinnati here getting jumped by Iowa State, that's one quibble that I have. I mean, Iowa State's a good team. They are a, they are a fine team. Uh, Brees Hall, leading rusher in the country. Brock Purdy, very good quarterback. Very nice defense. Very good lines. They are a solid team. And it's great that Iowa State's having a, a great year like this. I mean, I think they haven't won on a conference championship since 1912. So, hey, good on, good on the Cyclones. But, yes, the, the idea that Cincinnati is behind them now, I don't understand. Um, the, the big thing that that is crazy to me is, is Coastal Carolina and Louisiana Lafayette, two, two of the other kind of underdogs here. We know who the better team was on one day between Louisiana Lafayette and Iowa State. It was it was the Raging Cajuns that beat them by 17 in eight. Exactly. And yet there they are, 12 spots below Iowa State. Mm. And, and Louisiana Lafayette has one loss, which was to Coastal Carolina by three points. You want to talk, go down the list and start looking at who has the best wins and what have you? Coastal Carolina's got two top 20 wins and, and you know, a transitive win over Iowa State. And yet they're 13th. Like that, that's the kind of stuff that I, I don't get. Um, this is such a weird year because we don't have very many non-con games to to sh- to see how good people are. Normally, we'd have had like an Ohio State and Oregon or something like that, so we'd know. Okay, well, this is how one of the best in the Pac-12 was against one of the best in the Big Ten, so we, we could make some judgments from that. But we d- we don't have a lot of that this year. But what we do have is the Big Twelve going, I believe, as zero and three against the Sun Belt. And one mm-hmm. of those was the best team in the Big Twelve, Iowa State, lose, losing to Louisiana off Lafayette, and the committee looks like it, it doesn't even ha- it didn't happen. So that's one of the things that just kind of bugs me. Yeah, I've I've been pretty high on Cincinnati all year, higher than than other people. That so that's that's one thing. But then when we go down to the Sun Belt teams, that clearly you know if you go by what happened, which is what you're supposed to do, thirteen and nineteen for those two is way too low. Yeah, interesting that the uh, maybe the best game of the season. Was BYU and Coastal Carolina um, from a football standpoint just a just a great game? Uh, it's, it's it's unbelievable that that's what happened. I mean, I I was covering the uh, the Florida Tennessee game from my couch and, and finished just in time to watch the last five minutes of that. And the simple idea that I was you know my wife and I watching watching the game on the couch glued to this teal field on the you know up in coastal carolina school nobody knew about football until you know this year they were never relevant on a game on espnu with byu that was scheduled 56 announced 56 hours before kickoff and it's Mm. this riveting back and forth you know riveting down the wire finish it's unbelievable and and i've gone on this soapbox before but to me it's a sign that games like this can happen you can schedule a game on little notice and that's something that i hope college football teams look at down the line they don't have to have games set up 10 12 years ahead of time you can do it sooner than that and you can have an even a very good uh riveting game happen that way so that's something that i hope changes down the line that'd be terrific and strategically it might actually help one of these other teams um vault themselves in in the uh, in the polls and who knows if they ever expand the playoffs maybe all the way there you were uh, at, uh, or not at, you watched, of course, Florida and Tennessee. Not a big surprise that the Gators didn't have any trouble there. Matt, I don't think they're going to have any trouble with LSU. Uh, it's weird to see Ed Orgeron, uh, his team, not relevant, but it was really also very very noble of them to declare themselves ineligible for a bowl game. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? You know, uh, this it was very nice of them. Uh, 
a strong power move to say you know, we, we broke some rules and uh, we're going to take ourselves out of the running. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a darn shame they're not going to go to the uh, Music City Bowl or, or whatever. And I mean, LSU is bad. They're, they're just not good. You know, uh, after watching that thrilling Coastal Carolina BYU game, you flip over like, okay, what's going on with, with them and LSU? I think Alabama was already up like 21 to nothing or something like, oh my God, what are we doing here? Um, the good thing from that game, at least, I got to watch Devontae Smith, who's you know, maybe one of the best players in the country. So there, something good came out of it. But uh, LSU is just a mess. I, I don't expect the, the Gators game to be particularly close. Um, LSU's, you know, aside from Florida State, I don't think there's a whole lot of programs in the country that have been hit by attrition one way or another much more than LSU. Um, going from what they lost just to the draft and then injuries and opt-outs and transfers and, and, and all that stuff. They're, they're a mess. I, I don't know how they fix this problem long-term, but as it relates to the short-term, Florida should not have much of a problem at all. I guess if, they, if there's anything that Dan Mullen has to be concerned about is how quickly do you get guys like Kyle Trask and, and some of their, you know, their frontline stars out of that game? Yeah, that would be a great problem for them to have. Um, and certainly, you know, you could use a Emory Jones to get some reps and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, it, it, it's it's all about, realistically here, Mullen would never say this, but realistically, it's all about what can they do? Uh, what do they need to sharpen getting ready to play Bama? And then mm-hmm. how can they go in as healthy as possible? A pretty interesting uh, game, and a uh, and you wrote about this in the Tampa Bay Times. But the job that uh, <laughs> that has happened at Miami, um, they play North Carolina in Miami. I'm really impressed with the Hurricanes. They've managed to turn it around when when teams like Florida State haven't been as successful. Yeah, you know, a, a year ago at this time, around this time, I remember being at the Orange Bowl for the Florida Virginia game, and. A week or two earlier, uh, Miami had just gotten shut out by a mediocre to bad Louisiana Tech team, 14-0 in the Independence Bowl. And yes, the Gators game was interesting, but I remember seeing all the the Hurricanes writers, my my friends in the Miami press corps, and we were all just like, what happened? How how is Miami so bad? How are they going to fix this? Because, my God, that was awful. And I didn't know if they could. Um, I just saw too many similarities between Willie Taggart and his year at FSU, his first one, and what Manny had just gone through. Manny made the right decision to get rid of Dan Enos, his offensive coordinator, he, and, and bring in Rhett Lashley, um, for the OC from SMU. Made the right decision to change his offense, made the right decision to add in a grad transfer quarterback in De'Ara Keen. But those things could have backfired. I mean, Willie did the same thing after his first year at FSU. He, he yeah. got rid of his OC, brought in a new one, brought in a grad transfer quarterback, and he was gone after nine games. Uh, Will Muschamp cycled through OCs at Florida. He still, you know, failed. Uh, Jim McElwain brought in a, a couple different transfer quarterbacks in his time there, and, and he was out after two and a half years. But here we are, where, where Manny Diaz made the similar moves, and not only are they significantly better, they're a top ten team in the country. They've got a legitimate chance at winning ten games, even during a shortened schedule. And I, I feel pretty strong or, or pretty optimistic about the, the Canes' long term future. So. Um, yeah, he, he's done a fantastic job. And to me, I think the best game of the weekend is Miami and North Carolina. Um, Derek King versus Sam Howell at quarterback. Uh, I, that one has, a, a, it could be very pointsy uh, in the, that 330 game where I, I think it's just going to be a, a really fun matchup. A lot of NFL scouts will be watching that one for sure. Um, uh, uh, you know, 
I think football, college football, especially in this state, is always better when Miami is good. It's also better when Florida State is good, and they're not. Um, nope. But they've said that they need this game, and they're, they're playing Duke. So could, could uh, you know, playing well, perhaps a win, uh, sort of set the offseason, you know, for uh, Mike Norvell? He needs something positive to build on. I, I really think he does. Um, and look, Duke's bad. Miami blew him out 48 nothing last week. Credit to Miami. But also Duke is bad. Uh, David Cutcliffe has been a fantastic coach in his college career. It's, 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 it's probably about time for, for him to, to mosey on. Um, so I see this as an opportunity for Florida State to get a win, for them to have some sort of proof of concept action here, something that they can show uh, to the guys on the roster. Either this is how we're going to use you. This is what we think you can do. This is what you can do for us. Um, and, and also on the recruiting trail, because as we talk about all this other stuff, signing day is on Wednesday, which is crazy games going on and all this stuff while they're trying to finalize their class. Um, so Florida state needs something good to build on something tangible to show and maybe a nice win over Duke. Again, not, not saying the Knolls are back. I'm not saying they're going to win championships or anything like that, but maybe they can show some signs of progress and what they want to do and where they want to go based on where they are in this game. Matt, I still think that the the Heisman race is going to be decided in, in the SEC championship game between Mac Jones and, and, and of course, Kyle Trask. Having said that, uh, Alabama has a sort of an interesting game. I mean, look, Arkansas is better than they have been. Felipe Franks is capable. So that might be a, a nice test for them before they uh, play Florida. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting at least. Um, Arkansas is you know one of the more improved teams in the country. They're they're three and six, but really it should be four and five when you go back and look at the Auburn game and how the the Hogs got. Let's phrase it, they got screwed out of that one. Yeah. Um, but but you know, Bama uh, is another opportunity for them to kind of continue to show how how dominant they are. I don't know that Arkansas has much of a chance, but I do think they can hang with them for a half and, and maybe make Saban sweat a little bit. Is Jones because uh, again I I think you know tell me what the numbers are in that game in the SEC championship and I'll tell you probably who wins it but I listened to an interview with Jones who's who's kind of a fan of Kyle Trask I mean they have text texted back and forth um, a little bit and he never envisioned himself winning a Heisman Trophy or being in this conversation I mean geez he went to Alabama knowing Tua Tungavaloa was there which says a lot about his confidence but um, is is does the Alabama pedigree trump maybe kyle trask at florida if that makes sense in terms of the heisman yeah maybe um i think it's just going to kind of like you said it'll come down to the sec championship uh, mm. i think kyle trask is going to have to come out with a if if florida's going to lose and the, the last or the, the first line i saw i had the gators as a 14 point underdog so if florida's going to lose kyle trask is going to have to be markedly much better than, than mm. Mac Jones on, on that field. Otherwise, I think it's going to be way too easy for voters to look at it and say, you know, we're going to go with the, the guy who just won. Um, I don't agree with that because it's a it's a season award. Um, you know, I, putting my voter hat on here rather than trying to analyze what others are thinking, I'm going to view it as one data point, an important data point, but I'm also going to take the whole season into account. And I've said this before, I don't know that Mac Jones and Kyle Trask are the best the most outstanding players on their roster. I mean, you look at what Devonte Smith did the other day for Bama. He had like 219 receiving yards in the first half against Crazy. 
you look at what Kyle Pitts has done all season long for, for the Gators. I think those are probably the two best players on their team. So I'm going to give mm-hmm. very strong consideration to those guys when I do my ballot. But for all intents and purposes, all, all, all practicality here, it, it's going to come down to whether uh, Mac Jones can outplay Kyle Trask or if Trask can outplay him enough in a loss. Interesting. Uh, okay, so signing day, we've uh, had it slip up on us a bit, is coming up uh, next week. Um, what are some of the headlines from uh, from that? Yeah, it's this is a, a class unlike any other because things got shut down early on in the process. I think it was in March or April is when they kind of shut stuff down. So normally May, college coaches are going around the country checking out prospects and their spring practices. Well, they couldn't do that. They couldn't host camps. They couldn't do uh, that type of stuff. Um, they couldn't host players coming on official visits or even really unofficial visits. So Coaches and recruits, both of them, have a lot less information and a lot less data to work on with this class. So, and you have to remember, too, some states didn't even play high school football. So that's another whole wrinkle to this, less evaluation. So there's going to be a lot of volatility, I think. I think this 2021 class, if we look at it in a couple years, I'm going to be curious to see how many more kids transfer. Um, The NCAA is going to be almost certainly opening up transfer rules here in the next couple months. So that's going to be a factor too. But how many kids, you know, have signed somewhere that they haven't really been, mom and dad haven't been, and they they get there and they realize it doesn't work. How many uh, schools and coaches sign players that they thought they liked based on the film, but then they couldn't see all the body language and all the intangibles. And uh, it doesn't work out from a fit standpoint, personnel standpoint, talent standpoint, whatever. It, it's just, it's just going to be very fascinating to watch because we haven't done anything quite like this before. Um, just kind of the, the quick X's and O's here. Gators, as I'm looking at it now, have a number seven recruiting class in the country, which is a very good step for, from Mullen, who you know one of the knocks on him has been that he hasn't been able to recruit at a super high level. Well, he's doing it right now. Um, FSU down at, at 34. They, they need to close really well. They need to, to get some guys here here late because uh, if, if they're going to build up this roster, they, they're going to have to do it by, by, signing, uh, by signing elite talent. And so far, uh, you know, Mike Norvell inherited FSU's least talented roster of the modern recruiting era. And this recruiting class coming in right now doesn't look like it's going to be up to snuff to kind of get them back. Do you look for them to go and hope to get a quarterback through the transfer portal? Quarterback is interesting. They're definitely going to look at it. I mean, they've talked with Mackenzie Milton from UCF, is, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's their biggest need. Um, I mean, let's face it. They're, they're in this hole because they need a lot of stuff. Um, sure. Quarterback, I think, is one if they can get the right grad transfer quarterback. Um, but they don't think they need to add one just to add it. That you know, I, I have questions about receiver all over the defense, defensive line. That sort of thing. Uh, I think a, a really good running back would help. Um, but if, if they have a chance to get McKenzie Milton, yeah, they, they have to do that. Where are you headed, if anywhere, this weekend? Who would you be keeping an eye on, Matt? I am headed to the Florida LSU game. Um, like we talked about, it doesn't have as much buzz as usual. But what I'm kind of looking for is what will I see that makes me think this Gators team can beat Alabama? And then the, the other kind of prong of that is – how much better is this Gators team head, heading to Atlanta than the last couple? You know, because I, mm-hmm. I was at the the fifteen and sixteen SEC championships. Uh, appearances might be the better word than than games because Florida wasn't close. 
From what I've seen so far, Florida is in a much better position now as a program, as a team, than they were uh, under McElwain when they won the East. Um, so I want to see more continued progress and anything to make me think that this Gators team ha- has a fighting chance against Bama, which, again, this might be the best Bama team Nick Saban has had. Which is really saying something, my goodness, when you consider all of that. And Florida, we know, can score some points, so that should be, at the very least, a very entertaining game. He's Matt Baker. Check him out on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks, Matt. Sure. Thank you. The Rays did a little business. They uh, have traded Nate Lowe, the first baseman, DH, power hitter, to the Texas Rangers. And they got a um, a minor league player, an A-ball, low A-ball catcher. Uh, from the Texan, from the Texas Rangers, Hernandez. I, I don't think he's certainly not ready uh, to move up here anytime soon. No, he's catching, the key piece of this deal. He's a catcher, outfielder, um, yeah. key piece, but he's a couple years away still. I mean, he's this is a right. you know this isn't for this year. Um, right. You know, but our long national nightmare is over. We don't have to be confused about Brendan Lau and Nate Lowe. Lower Lau. So yes, <laughs> you know we've we've it's gotten right. over that now. Nate Lowe is now a Ranger. You know, I, I had I had high expectations for Nate, and I, do, I felt like he never really got enough at-bats to show what he could do mm-hmm. for whatever reason, right? I mean, guys burst onto the scene, and, you know, he really wasn't a position player. He was more of a DH Well, and, and you know, and, and credit guys like G-Man Choi, who exactly. played, played defense a lot better than we thought he was going to. Exactly. And so, you know, he took a lot of time at first base and, mm-hmm. you know, so Diaz played there. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, Diaz and, and Sutsugo is going to get another look at first now, uh, now that yeah. Nate Lowe's gone as they try to figure out how, where to put him in the lineup. Um, right. You know, the Rays do have a lot of infield depth. They do. Um, and so, you know, when you're trying to get pieces that you want to trade, you know, trade where you have a lot of depth. So, mm-hmm. the, you know, the infield is where they do have some depth there. And Nate Lowe was one of those pieces. Yeah. So we'll see how that works out for them as the, uh, what would be the winter meetings would begin and continue. And, uh, of course, we talked to Mark Tompkin a couple of days ago. If you want to check out that podcast to tell you all about what the Rays are likely to do. Still Kevin Kiermaier is part of this team. Blake Snell is still part of this team. So maybe all that changes by Monday. We don't know. Um, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Rays put this thing back together. Hey, uh, before we go, just uh, we, you know, we missed it. Like This is night two, but happy Hanukkah to everybody out there celebrating um, I know this is a uh, festival of lights and, and one that's uh, very important. So we want to wish everybody a, a happy Hanukkah. And of course, um, you know, Christmas is just uh, two weeks man, away. It's two weeks away. Oh, yeah. Get your shopping done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you took the bye week to get that done because I know you're busy when you don't have bye weeks. Yeah, so. you know, we did go, we actually did go shopping one day, but okay. we ended up buying for each other. So it really didn't make any sense. But, um, but the kids. I think my wife does a good job with that. Um, and then, of course, Santa's coming to town. So, you know, he's going to have to find his way through the through the COVID. Uh, it always reminds uh, me of an old Jeff Foxworthy skit at Christmas, and it's it's a joke in our family. But, you know, Jeff's driving to Christmas dinner or whatever and asks his wife, do we get my mother anything? <laughs> and then, you know, so she's opening the gift going, thank you, Jeff. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Had no idea what he got her. So, honey, how do you like your what? Yeah, watch. Yeah, it's an outstanding watch you got there. Yeah. Now they're they're pretty easy to buy for. They just want a real expensive things that um, that are electronic mostly. The gifts get smaller, but the price tag gets higher. I don't know how this happens. <laughs> I kind of like it in a sense because our whole house is now not you know. You would spend when you have when you have little kids, and you know this, Steve, is that. Mm-hmm. 
Christmas means assemblage. It means get out the screwdrivers and you got to build these monstrosity things. And then when they're built, you don't know where the hell you're going to store them. <laughs> like, you know, if I got a garage, if I got, can, can this dollhouse actually fit in the room with the bed? Yes. Um, you know, so <laughs> there's a lot of that that goes on. So I'm kind of grateful I'm not in the assemblage part, um, but I am in the, the, uh, the electronic world. So uh, in some ways, that's uh, maybe not as good. And speaking of Christmas, if you're looking for a good gift, I, I promise you, you are going to blow your 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 significant other away if you'll go to Breitling Boutique and pick up one of these gorgeous Swiss timepieces. I'm telling you, you you will thank me. It is worth the trip. Go over there. It's at International Plaza. There's only 15 of these in the United States, and we're lucky enough to have one right here in Tampa. And if you go there and you try on one of these beautiful watches, they're going to give you a $60 Breitling cap just by saying that you heard about it from Rick and Steve on Sports Day Tampa Bay. Now, it's worth the trip right there. So you'll get a Christmas gift. You'll get a cap for yourself, for your significant other. Everybody's happy. We just did all your shopping for you just in one swoop right there. Brightling Boutique, International Plaza. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 